following message is from the 2015 IBCD Summer Institute, equipped to counsel. I'm very thankful for many folks this week. I'm so impressed both with the facility here at Mission Hills, but also the wonderful care they've given us. And uh, a lot of the people from the church have been invisible, not wanting to call attention to themselves, but just everything works. The supplies are redone in the bathroom, the food's available, everything has just worked out wonderfully, the sound, it's been a wonderful facility, and this is the first time I've been here, and I'm just really thankful for that. Obviously, very, very thankful for those who've worked hard to make this happen with all of the logistical things, and I'm thankful that you all are here. We'd have lost tens of thousands of dollars if you hadn't shown up, and uh, so we take a big risk to fly people in from around the country and reserve a place, and it's great that there is support for biblical counseling in our region, and even some of you have come from afar, and we're very, very glad for that, and some of you have been coming for a very long time. I have been richly blessed by the plenary messages so far, and I think Craig did a great job in selecting the theme and the topics that biblical counseling itself is necessity, that the Word of God is necessary in counseling, the Holy Spirit is necessary in counseling, Prayer is necessary in counseling, and my topic is the necessity of the church in counseling. And you almost think, well, why do we need to say that? Does everybody know that? Uh, No, they don't. We live in a day of Christian individualism. There are many people who will claim to be evangelical Christians who will claim to have a personal relationship with Jesus, but they don't really recognize that the local church is very, very important to God. There are many professing Christians who are not members or not regularly involved in church. And then when people have trouble, it doesn't really occur to them that the church is the place they should go for the kinds of troubles that Heath talked about in the first night, personal troubles because of sin or others sinning against you and uh, the, the troubles brought on by the world, the flesh, the devil. Also, many local churches have lost sight of their calling. Many local churches are concerned about gathering a crowd, but not so much concerned about shepherding sheep. They leave counseling to the outside professionals. And I'm here to say that Jesus Christ loves his church so much that he died for her, that he bought the church with his own blood. He said that he builds his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. He calls through the scriptures the church the pillar and the support of truth. And and some people become disillusioned because many of us have been burned in church. Because church the church is still incomplete and we still have sinners in the church. But in spite of the faults of the church, the church should be precious to all of God's people. And according to scripture, our understanding is, is that when people have troubles of the soul, the church is where they should go for soul help. We are not free to delegate away to other agencies or individuals what God has called us to do. We also believe that the church has been given by her Lord everything she needs to fulfill her calling. And it's the things we've been talking about already. The Word of God has been given to the church. The church has been given pastors, shepherds, elders, leaders to care for the flock. He's given us the means of grace. He's given us other gifted members. He's given us his spirit who is with us. And before I continue, just to read in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11, he, that is the ascended Christ, gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, For the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain, we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried out by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ." from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what each joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. 
And actually, I'm kind of beginning where Vodi ended last night, as he talked about in the spiritual war in which we are engaged, in which we are all in battles of the soul. God has not left you alone in that battle. He's placed you into his churches, his local churches, where we fight alongside of one another. We have gifts to help and bless each other. So two basic points. The first is biblical counseling is necessary for the church. That is that according to the word of God, the church is called to do counseling. Now, I want to make sure everybody understands what I mean. We've been talking about counseling all weekend. But some people, when they hear the word counseling, picture a man with a pipe sitting at a desk looking out the window while there's a lady on the couch trying to talk about her problems. I've even had a call from someone involved in our movement who wanted to remove the word counseling from what we're doing because it has all of these therapeutic implications. But I actually got out my concordance, and the word counsel appears in the Bible a lot. Counsel simply means giving advice. Psalm 1, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Not all counsel is good. A lot of counsel is really awful counsel. In the book of Proverbs, we're told, a wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. So as we use the word counsel, it's just using the Bible to help people in life. And we should seek wise counsel Uh, The counsel of a wise friend is sweet, the proverb says. God himself is the wonderful counselor. And his word is the means by which we receive God's counsel. In Psalm 119, verse 24, the psalmist says, Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. And as we do biblical counseling, which is giving instruction from God's word, from which his counsel comes, and we give this encouragement and instruction to one another, speaking God's truth to one another in love through comfort and encouragement and exhortation, uh, that's counseling. Now, there are other terms that some people like now, and they're used synonymously. There's not a dichotomy, a discipleship, and George... 20 years ago, and he renamed our organization from CCEF West to the Institute for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship. Those are not two different things. Discipleship involves counseling. Counseling involves discipleship. We're using the Word of God to build each other up spiritually, the way the Scriptures say. Uh, One of the verses that's been the keystone of our movement is Colossians 1, verse 28, where Paul says, we proclaim him, admonishing every man... And teaching every man with all wisdom so we may present every man complete in Christ. Now, our understanding is that churches are to be doing this. And yet, as has already been pointed out, many pastors are reluctant to counsel. And one reason is many pastors don't feel equipped to counsel. It's already been pointed out that many people go to seminary, they're taught how to handle the Word of God. And that's really the most important thing. But they're not taught how to handle people. And many will go through seminary and they'll take many classes. And all these are valuable in terms of preparing to preach. From exegesis to theology to Bible classes to language classes, uh, preaching classes themselves. But some people go through their training or seminary curriculum. And this would apply even more so to missionaries without ever learning how to perform an individual ministry of the word with troubled people. Many pastors, when they enter the pastoral ministry, have never actually seen live counseling take place, even if they took a class. Now, also, many pastors feel very safe. Pulpit ministry, although I don't feel particularly safe right now, but compared to counseling, it's safe, in that you control what's going on. You're, you're, you're safe and you're steady. And, and when you're in the pulpit, generally speaking, at least in most of our congregations, the congregation doesn't talk about too much. They don't, you, know, you, you can say what you want to say. And of course, you may never know whether they got it or not. But, um, and people coming out of seminary, they, they feel totally unprepared for someone calling them in the middle of the night saying, I want to take my life. Or I came home today and my wife had moved out. Or our daughter is cutting. What do we do? Um, And many pastors even have had the mentality that they don't even think that's their calling to counsel. Uh, Brian made a reference yesterday to some kind of demented pastors. And um, 
There, there are many people who enter the ministry because they love the Word of God and they love preaching. And they, they're afraid that counseling might distract them from that. Paul, you know, I'm sorry, in Acts 6, did the, the apostle said we should be devoted to the ministry of the Word and prayer. We've already referenced 2 Timothy 4. Preach the Word in season, out of season. And they see if they start spending a bunch of time getting involved in people's problems, that's going to keep them from their Bible study and it's going to diminish their pulpit ministry. And they might even say, you know, I don't even think that's my gift. Some seminaries even teach that if you just preach the word well enough, you won't have any counseling problems. Some of you may have heard that canard. I didn't even mean that to be funny, but... It's funny in a sad way, but you, one reason I'm surprised you've laughed is I've heard that statement several times from very respectable seminaries. And then some would prefer to live in a bubble and not even realize the problems that are going on in their own churches. If, if you don't get really close to people, you won't realize what the problems are. And my own experience was I got thrown into pastoral ministry as a battlefield promotion when I was in my early 20s. We were in Saudi Arabia. There was an underground international church of a couple hundred people of 25 nationalities. The preaching pastor there got kicked out of the country and he put me in charge. And I don't know why he did that. I was very young and very inexperienced, but I could preach. I knew how to do that. I had some training in that. But after a couple weeks where I was the pastor, I get a call late at night from this couple that are about the age of my parents at that time, and they're having this huge fight, and they want me to come over and help them. And another thing that happened is we started inviting people over, wanted to build relationships, and we'd see, well, that looks like a nice couple. Let's have them over, and they'd come over, and then they'd start pouring out their problems, and we, one after the other, after the other, is there anybody in this church that isn't all messed up? <laughs> And this is the cream of the crop of the people living in this community. These are the ones who go to church, and yet they've got blended families and rebellious kids and horrible unresolved conflicts in their marriage. And, and you could stand behind the pulpit and sit in your study and never even realize what's going on. And some people might prefer it that way. Another thing is counseling is really hard. It can be frustrating. It can be discouraging. Uh, Paul in Colossians 2, he says, after he said he wants to present every man complete in Christ, says, for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which works mightily in me. It's hard work, and it, it can be frustrating because sometimes a handful of sheep take up a whole lot of time. Kind of like the 1 in 99 thing. But some people don't like that. And the counseling progress can be slow. The people most likely to leave your church are the ones with whom you spent the most time in the last year trying to help them through their problems. Many pastors, therefore, choose to outsource their counseling. Uh, there are churches in our area that if someone has a problem, they call the office, and they don't even talk to a pastor. The person answering the phone refers them to some kind of professional counselor in the area often not even biblical at all. We also have had cases where they'll want biblical counseling and they'll refer them, refer them to us. And they think they're doing us a favor. <laughs> and we're not about that, actually. We do some counseling, but we counsel to train so that the church will do its job. According to the Bible, counseling is the heart of the pastor's calling. In First Peter chapter 5, Peter says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, not as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. We used to have a store in the area and there was a sign by all the cash registers that said customers are not an interruption to your work customers are your work and I thought that was a great sign well pastors sheep are not an interruption to your work sheep are your work you've been called to care for sheep and part of that involves public feeding but 
sheep need a lot more attention than that. That's why Jesus talks about the good shepherd leads, leaves the 99 and cares for the one who is wandering or is hurting. Faithful shepherds give attention to needy sheep. The great passage for pastors to study is Psalm 23. And look at it from the standpoint, not only how God shepherds me, but I'm supposed to shepherd others as God shepherds me. One of the most terrifying chapters in the Bible for church leaders is Ezekiel chapter 34, where the word of the Lord comes to Ezekiel and says, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The diseased, you have not healed. The broken, you have not bound up. The scattered, you have not brought back. You have, nor have sought for the lost. But with force and severity, you have dominated them. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. And they became food for every beast of the field. And were scattered. My flock wandered through the mountains, and on every high hill, my flock was scattered over all the surfaces of the earth, and there was no one to search or seek for them. That should really make any faithful pastor feel very uneasy. Uh, I don't perfectly meet the standard of what the Bible says a shepherd should be. And God takes it very seriously. Hebrews 13 17 says, We will give an account to God. For those entrusted to our care. And the warning here of the false shepherds who take care of themselves and don't care for the sheep. They don't care for those who have wandered, those who are hurting. These shepherds are lazy. And then in verse 10, the Lord says, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will demand my sheep from them and make them cease from feeding sheep. There's going to be judgment. Jesus, of course, is our model as leaders. He says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. So there you have there two things. One is Jesus sacrificially gives himself for his sheep. That means a sacrifice, practically speaking. You may not have a chance to die for your sheep, but you may lose some sleep for your sheep. You may lose a lot of comfort for your sheep. You may agonize over your sheep. And then he says, I know my sheep. Do you know your sheep? Do you know if they're healthy? Do you know if they're hurting? Do you know if they're wandering? Do you notice if they're gone? Shepherding is supposed to take place in the context of the local church. Uh, There's a book that's come out fairly recently, excellent book called The Pastor in Counseling by Jeremy Pierre, who is a colleague of Heath's, and uh, Deepak Reju, who's with Mark Dever in Washington, D.C. It's called The Pastor in Counseling. And And they say how shepherding is dirty work. And if a man has been, if a shepherd has been around sheep, he's going to smell like sheep. (laughs) Pastors should smell like sheep. In contrast to the false shepherds, Paul in 2 Thessalonians 2 talks about how he cared for them. And he uses images that are poignant. He says, we've proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. He later describes how he encouraged them as a father would his own son. So faithful shepherds care. Faithful shepherds tell the people that they're available. And faithful shepherds may pay a price. Jesus paid the ultimate price because he loved his sheep, and we are supposed to walk in his steps. When Paul was called to ministry, he was told, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And and I will admit, back to Colossians, where Paul says, we labor, we strive as we try to present every man complete in Christ, is that I counsel for IBCD on Mondays. I care for our sheep all week long. And there are times when... I look at Monday evening at IBCD and I just dread it because it will be spiritual warfare all night. You've got one spouse who's determined on unbiblical grounds to abandon a marriage. You have another spouse who's selfish and lazy and angry. And you've got a guy battling porn who keeps giving in. And you're going in. And if you're being a shepherd, you're, not, you're fighting the bears and the wolves and the lions to save the sheep. And it, you're worn out. My wife and I just kind of stagger home on Mondays. But then on Tuesday, then the church starts. 
if they hadn't gotten us already earlier on Monday. And, and the problem's there. It's, it's exhausting work, but it's walking in the steps of Christ. Also, in, in this book that I referenced, it says that it, Jesus stands in the muddy waters of his people's weakness, waywardness, and suffering, and he beckons the pastor to come join him there, to go into the dark places of people's lives. Now, the good news is, as Peter said, that God blesses those shepherds who are faithful. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And there are many blessings to caring for people. One is, is that it enhances your relationship with Christ. It makes you understand what he did for you. It also makes you feel your complete helplessness. It's a little bit scary getting behind a pulpit and you have a sense of your need for God. But when you're facing down a girl who's anorexic and you're concerned for her life, when you're dealing with a man who is suicidal, you have a sense of dependence upon God like you've never experienced behind a pulpit, I can tell you. It drives you to your knees. It drives my wife and I together to our knees as we pray almost every night for the people we're trying to help. Also, there's a blessing because with experience, you'll learn, you'll grow. That's the only way you can get this. Now, some pastors have said they're concerned, well, isn't this going to interfere with the public ministry of the Word? And Paul says in Acts 20, verse 20, he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable in teaching you both publicly and from house to house. According to the Bible, the ministry of the Word is both a public ministry and an individual ministry. And rightly understood, the public ministry of the Word is going to help the counseling ministry. If the whole congregation is being given sound theology, if they're being taught how to apply that theology to the practical issues of life and peacemaking and marriage and how they speak, if, if the people are being instructed well in the Scriptures, they're being taught to solve their own problems and help each other. And it's true, good preaching may eliminate some counseling. And as all the members of the body are equipped, they're helping each other, and it's not all coming on you. But they're also, through preaching, you'll preach a sermon, let's say, on peacemaking. And now it starts bringing the sheep to you, saying, you know, you raised something I need help with. And... Uh, you know, last Sunday I preached from Jonah chapter 4, and Jonah at one point, uh, he wants to die. He says, Lord, take my life. And I said to the congregation, if some of you feel that way, I want you to come talk to one of the shepherds, one of the elders, and we want to pray with you and help you and encourage you. And they might take you up on that. A weak preaching ministry is going to produce a weak counseling ministry. But also faithful counseling, shepherding, soul care will make the preaching ministry better. Some preachers are in a bubble, and they, they're spending their time with theologians and exegetes, and those are great people to hang out with as you're reading your commentaries and studying. But spending your time with ordinary people with real problems, people who may not have a master's degree or a doctorate, people who are working with their hands, people who are having conflict with their kids, and you realize... This is what I'm addressing here. I'm not talking to a group of seminary students. And you learn how to understand people, and you learn how to preach in a way that using the Scripture, preaching sound theology, expository preaching ideally, but you're addressing the actual questions that people are asking and the issues they're facing and showing how the Word of God brings those answers. You're showing them how the gospel speaks to all of life. Another thing, though, is that, and I've found this personally, is that when you start spending time with people, you may be shocked about how little of your preaching is actually getting through. <laughs> say, weren't you paying attention on Sunday? I already explained this. For 30 minutes, I went about this, and, and they just, boom, right past them. So soul care... You're caring for people. And, and then it's something not just for the pastors. It's for the entire church. And he saved me some time by reading Exodus 18 a couple nights ago. How Moses, when he was overwhelmed with all the care of the people of Israel, there were people trained up in the law and you know, had this kind of different levels of, of uh, court to advise people and resolve their conflicts. And there's no way in a church that 
a pastor can care for all the needs of the souls. I actually had one case I was listening to supervising somebody, and it had been recorded, and this guy was complaining, well, I was a member of Shadow Mountain, and David Jeremiah didn't have time to see me. And then I went up to Grace Community, and John MacArthur asked for an appointment, and he didn't have time to counsel me. Do the math, okay? If you've got 6,000 sheep, you need a whole bunch of under-shepherds to care for that many people. And even in a church of 100 people or 200 people, uh, many are needed. That's why Paul says to Timothy, you find faithful men, train them, and they can train others. Titus 2 talks about how older women should help younger women to love their husbands, uh, love their children, be workers at home. And so the Bible does not envision the pastor doing all of this or even the elders doing all of this. And that's why I began with Ephesians 4. The job of the leader is not to do all the work. It's to equip the saints for the works of service. And so the leaders of the church equip many members at at different levels to minister the word. And, And people care for each other using the word, provoking one another to love and good deeds, as Hebrews says, and encouraging one another daily, watching out for the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 3. The, the famous biblical counseling verse that Jay Adams brought out 40 years ago, Romans 15, 14, I'm convinced you're full of goodness, full of knowledge, able to admonish, counsel, encourage one another. So the whole body's working together, and that's that each part, each joint supplying to the proper working of each individual part so that the body grows up in love. And this can be in the formal ministry, it can be informally in home groups that become more than just Bible studies and praying for people's medical problems, but actually in smaller groups opening up and addressing soul struggles and praying for one another in an appropriate way. It's casual conversations over coffee. One thing that Craig did is he set up our observation videos I thought was really brilliant was instead of the counseling being in an office in a kind of a sterile environment that looks like therapy or something, it's over coffee in someone's kitchen or in a living room. It's, it's two Christian couples talking and the more mature trying to ma- encourage those who are struggling. And this should be going on in, in the body life of the church, broadly speaking. And then biblical counseling is the work of the church because biblical counseling is part of fulfilling the Great Commission. We're told, go and make disciples not merely converts, but disciples. Discipleship is taking people and helping them to grow in Christ-likeness over a period of time and teaching them to deal with their anger and their worry and their conflicts and their depression and their marriage problems and their problems with their kids. And then also biblical counseling can be an agency of evangelism in your local church and that you have a reputation as being a place where people can come and get help. And needy people come. And some of those needy people aren't saved yet. And you show them that the help comes in Christ. And, and the gospel is what changes us from within. And only the gospel can change us from within. Not to be just moral people, but to be new creatures in Christ with the ability to walk in the Spirit and bear the fruit of the Spirit. And we have seen people converted. There's at least one Pearson here I know. How many, was there, I'm going to take a chance. Is there anybody here who has led to faith through biblical counseling at some point? Several hands went up. Uh, neither the counselor nor the counseling necessarily knew that was going to happen. So biblical counseling, it's, it's the work of the church. It's necessary for the church to do. The church is not the church if it neglects this. And it fulfills what is at the heart of our calling. The next thing is should also be obvious, and that is that the, if, if counseling is necessary for the church, the church is necessary for counseling. And that is that needy people, even if they don't realize it, need the church. They need it desperately. And, and hurting Christians often look to the wrong sources for spiritual trouble. And we have examples in the Bible of people going to the wrong place. Saul was condemned, actually, in First Chronicles 10.13. Saul died for his trespass, which he committed against the Lord, because of the word of the Lord, which he did not keep, and also because he asked counsel of a medium making inquiry of it. There are people today 
who are going to astrologers and mediums, even professing Christians, or people, they're going to people of another religion in the sense that a psychology which is secular, which believes that we are nothing but a body, they don't believe in the soul, they don't understand sin, everything Heath said the first night, that they, the, the people to whom they're going don't even understand the source and the nature of the problem. It's like going to someone of another religion. It's like going to the sorcerer. I actually listened to an audio by Vodi Bauckham. You can probably find it on Sermon Audio where he went through Daniel 4 and said, you know, when King Nebuchadnezzar was mad, who's going to help him? And they call in all the astrologers and all the Babylonian magicians and, and nobody could help. There's only one man who could help. Who's that? It's the man who had the word of God. It's Daniel who could help him. Daniel alone had the answers. And, and it's no different today. We've got all these voices out there, people who can offer no real spiritual help, to whom even professing Christians go for spiritual advice on spiritual problems. People who do not give the counsel God would give. And sadly, it's not only secular therapy, but there are many Christian therapists who their training, as Steve Byers says, their big book is their psychological training and they have not been well trained in the word of God and they tend to go to the big book not even understanding the presuppositions that corrupt the counsel they give. Just again as an example, the things we hear where people have gone to counselors who were not counseling based on the Bible, even some who called themselves Christians, where sin is excused and just where you know, a woman is having trouble in her home and she has young kids and a husband and she's stressing and the Christian counselor says, not one of ours, you know, go away for a few weeks, get away from it all. And where does that leave the husband and your kids? And you know, there's no abuse going on. She's just kind of stressed. And we, we, people need to be cared for from the scriptures and Christians need to be taught that they should turn to their shepherds when they're in trouble. Um, God has called you to be a part of a church and he's given you leaders to care for you. And people in crisis need the resources the church offers and the church alone has for them. Uh, One thing I've observed, and I guess it was Vody's example last night about the lion with the isolated warthog, There are a lot of isolated warthogs. And the saddest thing is, is that the roaring lion is seeking to devour them. And they've put themselves in a place of life where they're away from the herd. They're away from the community that could protect them. And they often end up coming to us because they have nowhere else to go. And we do try to help them. But it's, it's so sad because... The very institution that God has established is the community of caring. And then the crisis comes, the marriage crisis, the financial crisis, the personal crisis, and they've isolated themselves from the resources that God offers them. And if I were to boil down over 20 years of counseling with IBCD in terms of what's one problem that kind of is is common in the most cases, I would say... The single greatest impediment to progress in our counseling at IBCD is the counselee's lack of a relationship with a local church, lack of a proper relationship with a local church. Many professing Christians are in great trouble because they're not committed to a solid local church. Many don't appreciate the importance of the local church in their lives. We have people who come, and this is representative of the so-called evangelical community in our region who, who are not members of a church. Some do not even regularly attend church. Some listen to their favorite preacher online, and they think that's how they're being nourished spiritually without them being a part of a community. George Barna estimates that there could be as many as 50 million Americans who have their spiritual experience almost solely through the Internet. And by so doing, they're missing out on the blessings and the privileges and the care that God offers through the community of his people in the local church. They're not being discipled. They're not being fed. Uh, when someone says, well, does the Bible teach church membership? The verse I will take them to first is Hebrews thirteen seventeen, where the author says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. 
and I'll ask, who is your leader? Or who are your leaders to whom you are in submission? Because God commands you to submit to church leaders of a local church. I can't tell you to come to our church and do that. Quite frankly, I don't want them all to come to our church. Um, but you ought to be, you must, in order to be obedient to God, you must be somewhere where you have told these leaders, you are my shepherds, and they say, we acknowledge you as our sheep, and we will give account to God for you, and we will care for you. We will watch over your soul. That is membership. Some people may have that without the word membership, but it's a committed relationship between sheep and shepherds where each acknowledges their responsibility according to the word of God. And my belief is is that if someone refuses to commit himself or herself to a local church, they are in effect excommunicating themselves. The ultimate step of church discipline is you put them out of the church. In Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5, these people have already put themselves out. You can't kick someone out who never was in. And I can't judge whether they're believers or not. I'm sure there are many believers outside. But they're treating themselves as unbelievers by remaining outside. And they're robbing themselves of the blessings and the privileges of being part of a local church. And then when a crisis comes, they're not committed to anybody and nobody's yet committed to them. And quite frankly, it's not a great time to come to a church and say, I lost my job My husband left me with these three kids, and I'm very sick, and I can't work. Would you help me? But if you've been part of a community for 10 years, you've been serving, they know you, you know them, it's entirely different. That's what was going on in the book of Acts. So we make a condition, if someone's going to come to our counseling, they must attend church, and they must be working towards membership in a local church, commitment to a local church. We're not going to be able to help them without that. Sometimes we'll even say, and my wife's very good about this, and bring me some notes from your sermon. If they don't pass something out, write something down, because we want to see what kind of church they are going to and whether they're paying attention. Another problem we have is there's some people who come to us for counseling, and they come to us because they don't want their church to be involved. Uh, one thing that probably is one of the hardest things that Marcia deals with, she's the one who usually answers the phone when people call for counseling, is she'll ask right away, well, have you talked to your own pastor? And the most common response is, no, he's too busy. Please? (laughs) We just have all kinds of time on our hands. (laughs) We're just waiting for every other church to send us their problems they don't want to deal with. Not. He's a shepherd. You're a sheep. You're his sheep. If he's too busy, we got problems. Or he or others, you know, again, not like call John MacArthur's office and he wasn't available on Tuesday. But there's got to be somebody there. Other people come because they don't want the church to know. They want to meet with somebody private. And that's, I think, where they have the therapeutic model. I'm going to meet with somebody that doesn't know me. I'll never have to see him again. And I want some help, but... I don't want anybody that knows me to know about it. That is so contrary to biblical care. The best people to help you are the people who already know you well. We spend a long time trying to get to know people. And by the way, one thing we put on our form when people come in is permission to talk to your pastor. Because we want to get to know you through somebody else's eyes if we're going to be trying to help you. We'd like to get him in there helping you alongside of us. And sometimes they come hoping for confidentiality we cannot offer. We actually make them sign a form saying if if the Bible requires we get others involved. You know, if I have, in one case, I had a church deacon who was going and having lap dances at a strip club. And he didn't want his wife or the pastor to know. I said, I can't meet that condition for you. They have a right to know. You need to seek forgiveness from one. You need to probably resign uh, your office as deacon. You need to be under the care of the church. But that's a big problem with people who want Christian counseling, is they don't understand the difference between biblical counseling and secular therapy. And what we do is soul care biblically. And then another big problem we have is many of our counselees are attending local churches that do not really want to fulfill their calling to shepherd sheep. They're more interested in drawing a crowd 
than caring for hurting souls. We have pastors, we've had pastors who want, again, they, they like counseling from the Bible. They probably also like the fact that we don't charge. And uh, they'll send people to us, but it's like they're too busy trying to build this big thing with more people and more programs. Uh, sometimes we've had opportunity, and our mission is to get churches like that to change. And we'll try to say, bring someone from your church. We've even said, we can't keep meeting you unless someone from your church will come along. So we can involve them, and then they can take over. And, and while we really seek to work with any church which professes to believe the gospel, sometimes, in spite of the efforts of the counselee and our efforts, they refuse to be involved. And sometimes we'll send the counselee back and say, here's what the Bible says your church should do. You know, your husband is in the worship band. He's having an affair. They should make him stop being in the worship band. They should put pressure. And, and she said, well, I went to the pastor, and they say, I don't want to do that. Well, what conclusion do you draw from this, <laughs> biblically? And maybe I'm in the wrong church. And, and I want to stress, we do everything we can to make a, a counselee's relationship with their local church work, but there are cases in which they, the church just refuses. One of the big problems that's related to this is many Christians choose their church based upon extra-biblical criteria. And they go to the church where they have people like them, dressed like them, their social status, whatever, where they like the music, where they got the right thing for the kids, where the preacher's really funny, uh, a beautiful facility. I would lose my entire church on Sunday if they see this facility compared to ours. You know, we want a nice building, um, large, small. These are things that you may take into consideration, but none of the things I just listed are important in the Bible. And there's actually a, a booklet that's going to be coming out soon in this form. We've got drafts out there in this one, we give this to a lot of our counselors. Says, "Help! I need a church." Giving a, the basis biblically why you need to be a member of a church, but then also biblical criteria. Not that it would lead into our particular local church, but there are many good churches in our area. Many of you are from those churches, and 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 to help a counselee find if they're not committed to a church or if they've realized their church refuses to shepherd them. And I've written down the the ten. I have ten marks instead of nine marks. Those of you know that part. But, you know, is the church centered on the gospel? Do they stand firm on biblical doctrine? Is the word of God faithfully preached? Is the worship God-centered and biblical? Are the church leaders biblically qualified, mutually accountable? Do they shepherd sheep? Do they practice biblical church discipline? Are they equipping the body to serve in ministry? Is this a community of grace and love and peace? Do they have some outward focus in missions, evangelism, church planting? I know church is perfect according to those criteria, but is this what they're striving to do? When you, when you go into this place, does it smell like the gospel? Is that what this church is about? And do they care for people? A biblical counseling center can never take the place of the church in caring for souls. And our experience has been even if the immediate problem is solved... If you throw the goldfish back into heavily chlorinated water, it's going to die anyway. <laughs> that the key, a key element of, of, of a problem of a case really being successful is that the person who has been counseled, or the couple has been counseled, go into a situation where they're being cared for long term. Hurting souls are to be cared for in the context of the local church. The church has been entrusted with the word of God which is both infallible and sufficient. It's led by pastors, shepherds, who are called to care for sheep, who administer the means of grace by which the body is built up. It's a community that includes many other gifted men and women who can encourage each other, who can bear one another's burdens, who can, as we heard last night, go to war together, help the weak, encourage the faint-hearted, being patient with everyone, strengthening the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. The church is meant to be the hospital for the broken. And then it can take you all the way through in rehab. And from rehab to put you to work. And you go from being the one who is cared for, the one who's caring for others, and, and the, you know, the one who steals still no longer, but 
He's now giving and helping and serving and working. It's the place of ongoing care and discipleship. The church's disciplinary authority is necessary in biblical counseling. A real Christian wants to be under authority. I want someone watching over my soul. I have six elders who have authority over me. Each of us has six elders who have authority. I want, if I'm wandering, someone who has the authority to speak into my life and pull me back. And in 25 years, I've been pulled back more than once. A year. (laughs) Um, I need that, actually, much more than once a year. And church discipline is sometimes necessary to get someone to take sin seriously, saying, as representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ... If you will not listen after stage one, stage two, we will, in the authority of Jesus Christ, publicly address your sin. That's in there because God loves us. It's a means of disciplining sheep to bring them back in. And you do not want to be separate from that on both ends. If someone has wronged you, you want to be in a church where they're going to deal with that properly. But if you're in the wrong, you don't want to be able to drift. If you're a real believer, I know I'm prone to wander. And I want some shepherd with a good crook stick that'll pull me back if I need it. A pure church. And then Jesus Christ is present in his church. A lovely picture in Revelation 2 and 3, 1, 2, and 3, at the end of chapter 1, where it describes Jesus as walking among the lampstands. He said, I will never leave you. He's with us, he's present by his spirit among us. And so, if you want to grow, if those who are troubled want to uh, be blessed, it needs to be in the context of a local church. Now, I'll add one point that's not in your outline, and it really came to my mind as I heard the others speak, and that is Christian counselors need the local church. We do not need any Lone Ranger Christian counselors. Independent practices. There's some of that going on. Anybody who's counseling should be under the authority of the elders of his his or her own local church and accountable to them for however they're practicing counseling. If there's a problem, the counselees ought to be able to go to them. They ought to be exemplary in their membership and participation in that church. And in the context of their practice of counseling, they should be pushing people into the church, often their own as they're counseling people within the church, or others. You can't do this independently of the church. Uh, any person, who, we, uh, we have counselors who are members of other churches who counsel for us. We would never have someone who's not a member of a church. They need to be a member of a church which is a solid church, which practices oversight, which is committed to what we're committed to, and if something goes wrong, their elders will hold them accountable. And then such counselors will realize also that the people they're helping, that I'm not Jesus to help this person. It's not me helping them. They need the entire community, the entire body of Christ with all of its resources in some local church to help them. And as we teach counseling methodology, one of our eight eyes is integration, which means integration into the life of the local church. Tim Lane, in uh, some material he wrote, said that there are some unavoidable facts One is that someone had a problem this week. Someone in your church had a problem. True? The second truth is that we have everything we need in the gospel, in the word of God, to help that person. That he has given us everything we need for life and godliness. It's also true that people seek help, often first from family and friends, or even pastors before outside professionals. And we want a church full of people that if that troubled person came into contact with those people, they would get biblical help. They would hear what Jesus would say to that person. And then he also says that that person either got no help, bad help, or biblically gospel-centered help. We want our churches to be places where they will get biblically gospel-centered help. And it also says they don't get help, They're going to go somewhere else. But when they are helped, they will help others. IBCD exists to equip people to counsel in the local church. IBCD, for over 20 years now, has been the ministry of a particular local church, is its structure. 
And we do counseling for one main purpose, and that is so that trainees can watch counseling take place so they can take that into their church. We, we help hurting people, and there's an inexhaustible supply of unchurched or semi-churched people who need counseling in our area. We could, have, we could do it five times more at least than we do. We take the cases we can with the resources we do, but we want an observer in there so that people can be equipped to counsel within their local church. Our mission is to see leaders and members of local churches equipped to do the work of ministry together. And just thinking of what do we regard as success? What do we regard as a win? And to me, it's good, like the bronze medal. When a counselee comes to us, They've received biblical answers. Their life is being transformed, and they're integrated into the life of a local church. Anything less than that is a loss, but that's a win. The silver medal for us is when a local church catches the vision. Sometimes they, a counselee came, they got help, and we've had elders say, "From another, how did you help those people? What did you do? I would love to tell you that. That's what I live for. Come alongside. We have training. We have live training. We have the DVDs. And that's our whole purpose is that people would learn how to care for one another, disciple in the local church. And Craig has done an amazing job of putting these materials together that are being used on the Internet and DVDs across the country and around the world. But the best is the gold medal. And actually, there are a couple people here I could give the gold medal to in the sense that when a local church isn't just caring for itself, but like we have in Arizona— We've had this in Sacramento, other places where a local church so much gets the vision that they want to do the same thing, not just to care for their own people, but actually to be a blessing to the churches in their region, equipping them so that churches can be strengthened to do the work to which God has called them. So yes, the church is necessary for biblical counseling, and biblical counseling is necessary for the local church. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that Jesus Christ has shed his own blood to purchase the church and that he is the head of the church. He has given gifts to the church, gifted men and women, leaders, but every member having a part to play. Help us in our own local churches to fulfill the roles you've given us. Help our pastors to shepherd the sheep. Help Christians to be united to strong churches and to help one another. And, Lord, make our churches places of of care and grace and love. And I pray that this vision, we're delighted to see as this vision is being expanded into other places. Lord, we pray that there would be a continuing movement by your Spirit in your churches that shepherding, counseling, soul care would take place. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2015 IBCD. All rights reserved. More free audios are available at www.ibcd.org.